episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 23, Leon Davis. I caught up with Leon from Big L's Chop Shop. He has a shop just the other side of Geelong down in Melbourne. And it was great to catch up with him finally. I, I first ran into Leon at the roundabout in the middle of town in front of the pub at the Bright Rod Run a couple of years ago. And it was when I was first really thinking about putting this podcast out and I had a little handheld recorder and I plucked up the courage to go and interview a bunch of people about their trucks and I kind of test the waters of whether it was something that I, I really thought I wanted to do. And, and that most of those recordings you heard in episode uh, one or two of the podcast when, uh, when it just came out. So it was good. I really wanted to catch up with him and... Uh, and just get a bit more of his story. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of his work and, and it's quite impressive. So, no, really great episode and uh, I hope you enjoy this one. I did mention uh, a couple of times John Flanders and, and his Instagram page, but I don't think I actually said what it is. So if you're listening and you're interested and, and you, you don't follow already, uh, the page is called Pickup Trucks Down Under. He does a great job. He's got uh, a lot of Aussie pickup trucks on that page and, and not just Chevs, but there's Fords and Internationals and you name it. So great page, uh, great interview with Leon. I uh, hope you enjoy this one. Leon, thanks for coming on the podcast and having a chat. Uh, it's been a while since we uh, sat at the roundabout, the bright rod run and, and uh, had a look at your truck. How you been, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Yeah, flat out as normal and I don't do what I do, welding and grinding every day. Yeah, just... Uh, Wearing a mask, but not for COVID. No, I'm, I'm out of the... Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm on the... Well, I suppose I'm disordered to long, close, closer to Queenscliff, so we're out of that zone. We don't even have to wear a mask. It's yeah, good. no, it's uh, it's been pretty funny. Like, the amount of posts I've seen this week of people saying, oh, if you wear a mask for more than four hours, you get oxygen depletion and all this shit. And I'm like, mate, people wear masks all day, every day in the automotive industry, and they don't die. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the way I see it, and I've told a few people, I, I've been working and living in isolation forever, so it's fucking nothing, you know, different for me anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how some people have, their businesses have got busier due to, like, depending on what their business is, and others, nothing's changed, and then some poor bastards have got nothing. So, yeah, it's been tough. Yeah, well, honestly, I work in a rural, like, where the shop is, is in a rural area, so, you know, their nearest neighbour on one side is, is probably a K down the road. Another one's maybe three or four hundred metres yep. away. So, you know, I'm I class it as being isolated from from everyone. You know, it's pretty good. Do you get those days when you like you grind away, you got your earplugs in, you're working away, and you just get that prickly feeling that someone's watching you, and some randos just walked in your shop? Do you get that down there? Uh, no, not too 
too much. Like, obviously the, the locals or people I know know I'm there, but I, I don't have any signs up at the shop. So unless they've probably called, called me to come and meet me, you know, no one actually stops in, you know. It's, it's quite good like that. Like, if you're driving past the road, it's just a... It's just a tin shed, you know, so you don't actually know what's going on inside. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, plus there's a couple of Labradors there, so if anyone does stop, they're straight on to them barking and they let me know pretty quick. So No, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's let's just wind back the clock a bit. So, when you were when you were a young fellow, what what was the first memories you have of of anything automotive? Like, did your dad have hot rods, or what kind of got your spark? Um, no, we weren't really. Like Dad just had he had a lot of Falcons, I suppose, back in the day, and and probably like me, you know, um, you buy something pretty cheap and and try and fix it up a little bit, and then use it for a year or two and then he would sell it on and and then obviously as we got a bit older we had a few paddock bombs because we grew up in the country so the whole you know we had a few uh hk holdens and had a lot of xp falcons at the time you know obviously bought them off the, the local farmer down the road for 50 100 bucks and then you know would burn around in the paddock with them and and then you know growing up on the farm you always taught you know, we're always taught, like, if you broke something, yeah, here's a welder, we'll fix it. So a lot of the, my experience with cars in the early years were definitely from, from paddock bombs, I guess you could say, mess around. And if we, we hit a tree in the paddock, well, we'll, you know, go back and pull it out with the tractor, like the dead out with the tractor or something like that, and weld something back in and off we go again. There's a whole generation of kids that aren't growing up with a paddock basher like we all did, aren't they? Like, it's, a, it's probably a dying thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, uh, I'm sure my, my mum didn't like it as much, you know. Like, imagine 13, 14 years old and we're, you know, me and my brothers, I'm one of six kids, you know, so there might have been my, my two brothers in there and a mate and we're in the car doing 80 clicks, you know, 80 k's an hour in the paddock trying to send it sideways in the mud. Like, she used to hate it. But, yeah, pretty good childhood growing up and a good experience, I suppose, back then, like, you know, I'm probably how to handle a car a bit better too. Like it was, like everyone's done it. You know, in our area where we grew up, like all the neighbours had a paddock bomb and they're out doing their thing or feeding the cows with the old EJ Utes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's good. We we had a HTU and our favourite thing was in the summer when the grass was just bone dry and and yellow. And same thing, you just fly up the paddock at about eighty. And then just go full lock and just send it into massive spins through the paddock on the dry grass. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose it makes for a good childhood. You know, we had four-wheeler motorbikes and going out shooting. And, um, you know, back then my mum and dad had a bush block up near Ballarat. So we used to go up there, motorbike riding a bit as well. And, yeah, it it was a good childhood when you probably look back on it because a lot of people don't get to do that or experience it. So, but it was a normal for us, and and that's probably where my my whole start on playing with cars probably began. And and I love my XK XP Falcons, you know. So we probably had two or three maybe XK XP Falcon paddock bombs. So you know we had. I still got one now actually, uh, XP delivery. But yeah, that's probably where my biggest love for these old cars sort of happened. And. I don't know. It never really, like, 
having that as a, a bit of fun back then wasn't a hobby. It was probably when I got to my late twenties, I suppose, when I started getting the cars a bit more and then and then turn back to the cars that we played with when we were younger. Yeah, cool. So what would have been the first car you, you kind of had on the road and, and gave a shit about? Oh, fuck. Well, very first car I had was a VH SLE Commodore, which was, was like a beautiful car back then, you know. The first car that I bought when I was like 17 and a half. So that, that probably, uh, I don't know, I gave a shit about that car, but I sold it. I went travelling overseas to Canada, America, so I sold that. And then I reckon it was probably another five years later that I got back into cars and then, like, come back to mum and dad's and started playing around with the uh, windowless XP delivery. And I started playing around with that, doing a lot of metal work on that and smoothing things out and all that sort of stuff, which I've still got that car anyway. So, yeah. And had that been one of your paddock bashes, or it had been sort of looked after a bit better than that? Uh, that one wasn't. I think we got we got two off one farmer just down the road, and one of them was an XP wagon, and I believe, yeah, I can't remember. It was probably about a hundred bucks. I reckon he paid for that. That was a pretty cool thing. It had, um, I can't remember if it had like XRA XT tail lights in it. It had a two fifty in it. Like it went really well. And it was a pretty nice car. It all been painted and whatnot. And the XP delivery, I reckon, he paid about fifty bucks for it. So the the delivery is still got, and some of the parts off the wagon I've still got. But that wagon was well and truly rusted away, and I sent that to scrap. Only actually probably about two years ago. So yeah, nice. And and the X the XP delivery, that's the orange one with the white roof that you've got it on your Facebook page. No, no, that that's another one. <laughs> So you have to skip forward a few years when I got that one. But uh, I thought that was probably my beginning, I guess, playing with those cars, which I've, the only one I've still got was was that XP delivery. So it's still sitting there, actually. I've, I have had intentions of pulling it out and probably fixing it up and, and doing something sort of semi-cool with it, like a bit of a street car or something. But time is my biggest killer, so I'll just wait till I finish a few others. Yeah. Cool, and then so as far as pickups, uh, you know, you you went to the states on a bit of a shopping mission. I think you were telling us last time you were looking for a Chevy pickup. Yeah, look, I, I, sort of funny. I think um, I reckon it was my my mid twenties when I really started getting the the cars and stuff. And I did. I went on a holiday to the states, and um, you know, you see a lot of cool things over there, which probably get your imagination going. At the time, I reckon I got I got back. This will be my mid-20s. And at the time, I think, I can't remember what I'd done, actually. I think my brother bought it. My little brother bought a car, and then we were just talking about it, and we got a bit carried away, and we ended up buying, like, well, I bought a 49 single spinner at the time, and then Truckee, which everyone knows, a 48 F100. I bought that. Because the, the guy who was shipping them out, he said, look, if you want to buy another car, I can do you a really good deal on shipping. So I, I was actually looking for a 48 to 52 Chevy pickup, and I only had a few weeks, and nothing popped up. And then this 48 F100 popped up, which was trucky, and I just bought it. I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to get it and wing it and see what happens when it gets here. So I bought those two out in my mid-20s, and then 
you know, I don't think I touched him for maybe a year or something. And then, uh, obviously, Queensland Rod runs only 10 minutes down the road from, from uh, the shop. So I think it was maybe a year after I got it, I kind of put it together and drove it down there, had a bit of fun in it, and then and then things sort of carried on from there. So it might have been a year later, good old Truckee got a bit of a makeover because the chassis it was on when I bought it was some Chevy Blazer or some some piece of shit that that I bought. Like, it was that bad. I can't believe I actually drove it when I got it down to Queensland. Like, looking at it now, like, that car, that chassis was so bad. Like, I, I want, like, I don't know how it didn't break in half when I actually drove it down the road. It was that bad. So, hence why I, I ended up building another chassis for it and, and the way it is now. Like, made it a right-hand drive car and, I don't know, it's proved itself. For something like I... I I wouldn't say I couldn't weld for shit. Like we'd done a lot of farm welding, fixing farm implements and fences and gates and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, considering I'd done that in my mid twenties, that car and didn't have much experience. That was my first car I kind of really put together. I haven't touched anything. I think I've replaced one one airbag and uh, and swapped the motor over in the last twelve years or something of having it. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. So that was your first kind of body off, build build something properly. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely body off sort of build. So and then when I actually put that back together, I didn't do much with it for a couple of years. So uh, yeah, like things just sort of went funny. I, I was, I suppose from that point on, I started to get more and more into cars and looking at different scenes of cars especially in the, the states so i can't remember what i've done from there maybe i had a after that i had like a 62 falcon which was my everyday car like an xl sedan i still reckon it was probably one of the best cars i ever had like it was such a cool car you know drove it to queensland a few times for coolie rocks and um yeah i got sideswiped it was, it was a cool original car and i was going to kayak to see my nana and pop one and a timber truck uh, try to avoid hitting a car in front of him through a set of lights. The truck jackknifed and the whole front of this Kenworth swung around and took out the whole left-hand side of the car. So it just sideswiped and done a full full swing around the truck did and took out the whole side of the car, which ended up having a rebuild. So then I ended up um, doing a lot of the body work with a mate and then another mate painted it for me. So, yeah, it was a pretty nice little car back then and, lowered and wheel spats and visor and custom paint on the roof and stuff. Um, and then at the time, I was getting a lot of mates to do that sort of stuff for me because I was, you know, I, I didn't have the skills. And then, yeah, things kind of progressed from there. So I ended up selling that car. I can't remember what I'd done after that. I might have, might have started playing around with that single spinner, the 49 single spinner. So, yeah, done that, built that sort of, just as a car to have fun in, you know, I thought I'd just sort of put it together and take it to a few shows. So, yeah, played around with that, built a chassis, four-length bag, and, and then a guy who bought it from Sydney, so he asked me if I wanted to chop it. So, yeah, chopped it one weekend, and that went up to Sydney, and, and then that's been a cool little car, so the guy still owns that now. Did that get converted to right-hand drive, or did it stay left? Yeah, when I when I build it, like I, I'm not a big fan of left-hand drive cars. Obviously, there's a huge amount of left-hand drive cars here, 
But any car I build now, I'd prefer to, like if I'm building them, I'd rather convert them to right-hand drive, like straight up. I just think they're, I don't know, they're, they're, to me, I think they're worth more money. They're, they're much more safer car to drive. And and the whole, I don't know, when like when you go to a car show now, not like 70, 80% of the cars are left-hand drive. So to me, it's pretty cool to see a car right-hand drive that you know it's been built here in Australia. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of disappointing if someone spends 50, 60, 100 grand on some car and it's still left-hand drive car because there's, you kind of feel like, well, you don't know. You kind of just look at it and go, oh, it's probably just been bought out of the States and it kind of lets the car down a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Even if it isn't the case. I, I just think a right-hand drive car has just got a bit more, I don't know, it's a bit more impressive for me that someone's gone into that. So every car that I've probably built for myself, I've, if it was a left-hand drive car, I've converted it to right, like trucky. The single spin, I used the original 4950 mainline ute. Uh, just got a dash, steering column, you know, steering box, brake pedal assembly and all that sort of stuff. That was an easy car to convert because the, um, the dash just unbolted with like about 10 screws and two bolts. They swap over the dash on those things. So that was easy. And the chassis actually stamped left to right. They actually got all the same holes punched in them for steering box mount up, brake mask cylinder to bolt up like a fucking piece of cake. Yeah, they're built for it, aren't they? So yeah. if, you get a, if you can find a mainline ute or whatever, an Aussie mainline ute that you can rip it out of, obviously getting pretty hard now. Yeah, yeah, they'd be getting harder to find. I had a 53 mainline when I was a teenager. Um, that was a cool, cool car, but... Never quite made it to the road in my ownership. A lot of them are pretty cooked now, the, the old Aussie mainline ute. You know, they sat out in the paddock and they're all, like, cooked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, though, my old man had a 59 um, star model custom line, so we were we were Ford, Ford people back in those days. And, yeah, I got this, yeah, 53 anniversary model and had all these big plans, but never actually finished it. And I think Dad sold it when I was overseas. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dad. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of I've spoken to a lot of people about the left-hand drive thing, and and there's there's two schools of thought, I guess. Some people think that if you keep it left-hand drive, the option to sell it back to someone in America is there, which makes sense. Except that I don't know that I've ever heard of anyone that's done that because it's there's so much money to get it back there, like, and they've got heaps of them. Yeah, well, I I have had this conversation with a few dudes, and and. I suppose it depends on what car you got. Like, you know, if you got a, you got some rare Camaro or Mustang or or whatever, like some sort of unique Impala, like maybe a, a 63, 64 Impala, like I wouldn't convert that to right-hand drive because it is probably worth more money back in the States as a left-hand yeah. drive car. But a lot of the, this pickup stuff, like it's, it's... I don't think it's worth... I think a right-hand drive car would be worth more here in, what, say, 50s pickups and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it, it's probably prime example when you're trying to sell. Like, I've had a couple of 60s F100, and when you're trying to sell them, you have all these people that, like, maybe haven't had an old car before and just like the look of them, and it's, like, a pretty good entry to get in, you know, you know, 20K or mid-20s, you could pick up a, a 60s F100 for here. But the amount of people that have, like, come and had a look or whatever and they've gone 
you know, if this thing was a right-hand drive, I'd snap it up straight away. Because there's a lot of dudes that want an old car, you know, and they've never had one before, and they're too scared about driving a left-hand drive car. So a lot of things, if you had that that time, if you're building them up, there's not much difference to convert them to right-hand drive. So it'd be be stupid not to yeah you know? yeah and there's a bit of a safety factor too like i know you can drive around left-hand drive but if you want to overtake a semi-trailer on a on a country road and you're sitting way over on the left and you're on your own i don't see it being a real safe option no no look each to their own on that thing like a lot of people just keep them left-hand drive but i i do i I'd probably take more notice at a car show and i see see something that's been customised or built, you know, you know it hasn't, you know it's been done here, and you see it's a right-hand drive car, I, I'd probably take more notice of that car, because I can see more appreciation in it, that someone's gone to that effort, so and, and you're right, like a left-hand drive car is pretty scary if you're in it by yourself overtaking a, a truck down a single road, you know, lane road or whatnot, so but yeah, I'm a shocker, like every car that I have that's like I just I just got a fifty fleet line out from the States. Uh, it turned up about three months ago. I hadn't even bought the car and I already bought a dash, a right hand drive dash and a few other bits and pieces for one before I even bought the car because I knew I wanted one. So every car that's left hand drive that I have, I've actually already bought a dash in right hand drive for yeah. it. Do you so I already know in advance what I'm going to convert straight away. Do you know with the um, with the F1s? So, yeah. so I've got the early Chev Aussie built Chev. So they're they're made here in Australia by Holden the cabs, and you can't pull you can't yeah. pull a say if I had a US cab, and I wanted to just rip the dash out of my Aussie built one and put it straight in. You can do it, but there's a there's a bit of faffing around. They don't go straight in. With the Fords, was that the yeah. same? Like, if you brought brought an F1 over and then you found an F6 here in Australia, do you know if the dashes, are, they fit straight in or you, do you know anything about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm, yeah, like, uh, say a 55, 56 F100, like, they're all spot welded in, but they're exactly the same, identical left to right. So if you're fortunate enough to get one, you know, you can weld it in, but there is a lot of work because you obviously got to cut it all out. You know, it'll be glass out, and, you, and you're stripping everything back. Like they're kind of a unique little setup on the 55, 56 fours. How the the side comes from the door and it kind of overlaps the dash, so it's a bit of work in them. But if you can find a right-hand drive dash, you're going to pay like two grand, two and a half grand for a dash alone. Or that's what other guys have told me in the past. So I, I just finished converting a 56 over for a dude that I'm building his car, um, he wanted it right-hand drive, so I just modified and built built a dash for it. But a lot of the Aussie stuff is exactly the same to the American thing, if, you, if you're lucky enough to find a, a dash for it. Yeah, cool. You know, I've even, sorry, I've got a, another 65 F100 at home, and I've already I picked up a dash off a dude off Facebook for a slab of beer. So it's sitting there, but it's all spot welded. Like I was going to pull that out later on in the year, and and uh, yeah, unpick it all. And I'll try and keep all the patina of the the body because it's a pretty cool factory black truck with uh, red trim and and pretty cool patina on it. So I'll try and do my best to not burn any of the paint 
that's on it and, and spot weld a new dash back yeah. in. The right hand drive dash. Yeah, that's cool. And there's a good chance it'll come out of like a three or a six ton truck, not a you know, not a pickup like uh, from the States, you know, an F one hundred. It would have been a three or a six ton truck, so should go straight in anyway. Yeah, the cabs should be the same. Yeah, I, I think I'd I hope my wife I don't think my wife listens to my podcast. I think I might have just bought a forty eight F one in this in the States and uh it's only because it's just got some of the best patina I've ever seen. It's just so killer. And where is that where was it where'd you buy it from? Um it's uh right like literally in the middle of America. It's it, butt fuck nowhere, but um yeah. I, there's a dude, um what's his name? Rex is his name. He he's like to the left of Aubrey Wodonga and last time I was there he had about two or three F1 cabs there, like, you know, 48 to 52, and they had the fucking best patina on it, but they were all, you know, three or six ton trucks, so the the, the guards and stuff on them, like on an F3 or an F6, the wheel opening is, is larger to accommodate a truck yeah, wheel, right. and they're actually wider. But he had, like, he had two or three killer cabs up there last time I was there um, that he had, and they were all, like, two and a half grand for a cab, bonnet, and guards. You know, pretty good buy, like it, and pretty local for someone like you. You know, an hour and a half from you, you'd be there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I might have to get but his have details. You, have you bought a complete truck, or is it a? Yeah, it's a complete truck. Um, it, and then, and I know where there's two or three uh, Aussie, same thing, like three ton Ford trucks that I can get dashes and stuff out of. So. That's probably going to be my plan yeah. to do the old switcheroo. But um, right now, because I, I I like to just I like to fly over to America and go around and actually pick your stuff and pack it yourself. Because then you know you you're getting exactly what you want, and you you can kind of maximize the space and bring stuff back just to get a bit of money back. And so that's what I really want to do. But I don't know. I've got no idea when we're going to be able to get on a plane and go to America again. Yeah, yeah, I had to cancel a, a holiday. Me and my missus had a holiday plan to Canada and America. Was that maybe two months ago? So we had to cancel that. And I had probably intentions of buying a couple of cars while I was over there and doing the same thing. But right now, who knows? It, it could be another year or two years before you can go to the States the way it's going. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, but you, you should tell your missus, mate. She's going to tell you off. Nah, she'll find out. <laughs> when it turns up <laughs> no she's pretty good i i mean i buy and sell a lot of trucks and and like when i started doing it she was like oh what do you got that for blah 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 and i was like well because i paid 500 dollars for it i just sold it for five grand and she'll be like oh okay you can keep doing that so yeah it's uh yeah, yeah it's it's well i've pretty much built i've built my chef truck almost for nothing up to where it is now just by flipping other trucks that i found so yeah i it's good. I, I yeah. just like saving them. Like if you see them in a paddock, you know, rusting away and you can get them for the right price. I mean, it's a pain in the ass to pick them up. You know, you need a tow truck or a huge trailer. And that's why a lot of guys, they don't understand when you advertise something for sale. They're like, oh, it's a bit expensive. It's like, well, go and get one yourself because you can't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It can get a bit frustrating. Uh, and that's like, I think I've got, uh, look, there's a couple in the paddock, but there's, I've got about five or six early Falcons X, Kate XP stuff. And all them, because I, I got into them 
you know, I've got a couple of cars that I bought 15 years ago, and back then you were only paying, you know, a thousand. 1500 bucks for a car so it was nothing you know and they're still sitting there like some i've just haven't finished or haven't got to or just i've just had them sitting there you know so if, if anything's at the right price and you can afford to grab them like you're mad not to yeah. but uh and same with the pickup like truckies truckies a prime example of i reckon that car was like when i bought trucky and had him shipped over i reckon it was around the six grand it owed me to buy and bring it out like i paid I reckon I paid under two or three grand back then. Um, and then I used the majority of the car that I had and then put another chassis together. But it was such a cheap thing. Like when it was first on the road, I reckon it was under 10 grand. I was driving that thing around for buying it out from the States, the shipping. Then what I'd done to it was under 10 grand. But I blew a gearbox up, so I've rebuilt a gearbox, yeah, whatnot. I've swapped over. A motor, five, another five hundred dollar motor, three hundred five Chev. I got off a dude in Geelong, put that in. So the, the car still owes me under thirteen grand, and you know obviously I've done a lot of cases in that thing. Like it's um, it's been bang for buck. That truck's been the best car I've ever had. You know for where I've driven it and how much it owes me. Yeah, and it, it that truck's probably been been a real catalyst for your business too, isn't it? Because it's a it's a a rolling billboard, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is, like, and I probably should take more care of it, but I've been driving it every day. Like, I've been building a XG Falcon Ute for myself, uh, and I was doing that last year. I bought this XG Ute, and then one weekend I went up to Sydney and chopped the roof with another mate on a 54 Chev, and on the way home, this the XG cooked itself, so I thought, oh, shit, I'll... I'll uh, I don't know, I'll, I might as well put a barrier in it. You know, if I'm going to swap motors, I'll put a turbo barrier in it. So I've done that and then, yeah, got a little bit carried away. And so I, I got the XG running and then it went in and, and got dynoed. And then on the dyno, this brand new gearbox blew up. Oh. So shattered. So now, since then, the, the, the gearbox has been set off again to get rebuilt. I've been driving trucking for the last, like, probably four months non-stop, you know, for for a rolling advertisement, like you say. Um, it's just my everyday car at the moment, like until the XG's going again. Yeah, but I mean, that's yeah, that, that's a true indicament of, of what you're building, you know, like you're building a vehicle you can just get in and drive it every day and that's what everyone wants. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, it, I'd love to be able to put the effort in and... and build like a show car for someone you know I'll, like anyone's capable if you've got the time and effort but to me i'd rather people be building cars that are driven and used like you know to me i'd rather someone's investment bring them that amount of value of joy like they're out using it like if it's like a nice day on a tuesday midweek they drive it to work or they they want to drive it somewhere you know drive to melbourne drive to sydney like your car that you build should be that car that you're just happy to jump in and go. Obviously, there's a lot of little teething problems with a lot of cars once they've been done, and probably with Truckee, I'll buy them out over the years. So I know that if I wanted to go to Queensland or Sydney and Truckee, I could just probably uh, put some fresh oil and a filter in it and check the tyres and off I go. But, you know, every car that you build should be, like, one that's reliable to just go anywhere. You know, given that you've 
put that time in it once it's done to sort of figure out all the little uh, you know issues it might have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so when did um, Leon just tinkering with his own cars start to turn into Big L's chop shop? What what sort of you know what what were you doing before that professionally, and then and then how how did that end up coming into a business? Well, that's what I'm saying. It was probably like my mid twenties where it started to get more more of a thing. So I had a obviously a few mates. I don't know if we spoke about this last time, but I had a few mates that you know we're, we're all in the kind of a car club and local Geelong dudes. And um, if they needed a hand with their cars, they'd like, oh, we'll go down to Big Al's chop shop. Yeah, they nicknamed me Big Al. I'm not sure why, like maybe they're all little scrawny little <laughs> buggers, but uh, Big Al just stuck as a nickname for a few mates. So I don't know what it was. I started tinkering with cars, and I've registered the, the Big Al's Chop Shop name because I think a mate, Cam, who's got their yellow XK wagon, you know, with a Turbo 6 in it, um, another Geelong guy. So he nicknamed me Big Al, and then it was like Big Al's Chop Shop. So I had a few guys few mates bringing down cars like oh can you you help me fabricate this or fix a bit of rust you know and and it just went from doing things as a bit of a hobby to then next thing you know i i uh i did a little bit at dw customs so uh, at the time i had a girlfriend around that side of melbourne and dw customs was in dandenong so then I, i was helping them a little bit for a day here and there in between work and then I was working in a big warehouse in Laverton, driving a forklift, working in office, you know, just doing random shit. So it was, I, I hated that job towards the end and, and I, um, I don't know, I ended up doing a few little random things and I ended up going up to Fast Lane Speed Shop in Ballarat and I was doing a couple of days up there as a contractor and, and then... Yeah, I think I painted a few roofs for a few people. Like, at the time, I was just doing random shit that I, I enjoyed to do. So, say I might have been playing around with painting, and then mate was like, oh, do you want to do, do this for me? And then I built a car for for a mate at XL Wag and a good mate, Daniel, from uh, Melbourne. And every Sunday, he'd come down for a year, and we built this car. You know, it just put it together, and then... Like, oh, yeah, we'll have a go at painting. So then next thing you know, we bought a spray gun and played around and we uh, bought a whole bunch of candy. So, like, bang, we candied the whole roof of the car, never really done any patterns, and it had just a lace pattern in it. We masked it all out and just painted in, pushed my mum's car out of her shed, put some plastic sheet up and painted that. <laughs> and, and it turned out killer. Like, it was, it was quite good. You know, I had a few few uh, a painter guy that I spoke to a little bit and he gave me a few pointers so I'm like oh well we'll have a crack and my my mate was there with me so we were doing it together masking up stuff I'm like oh shit what's the worst that can happen so I ended up doing that car and I painted the whole car and it, it came out pretty cool like it was full red candy like house of color candy on the roof all through the trim because obviously XL Falcon the dash, the doors, everywhere is, is metal. So we painted everything red candy inside it and done a few patterns inside it, you know, when you had it in the, the right light. So then when, when he finished that, you know, we would go to custom that and then a, a few dudes were like, fuck, this car's cool, who done this? And then, you know, and then next thing you know, I had someone else, like, can you paint a roof? And I, I don't know why, but, yeah, people were 
get me to paint stuff. Like, and I'm fucking, I'm not a yeah. painter. Like, but I was just, at the time, I was, like, hating my job. So, yeah, look, I'll do it in between, you know, my days off from work. And and then next thing, you know, it kind of just kept progressing from there. Um, so the ex-partner's car kind of had a lot to do with doing her car. Um, that turned out pretty cool. And there was a few magazine shoots on that. And, and um, yeah, things just kind of progressed a little bit more from there. I didn't intend to do the cars. It just sort of happened, you know. I suppose I was just fortunate that um, my parents had a pretty big workshop that they were happy for me to work out of and, and uh, you know, renting the shed off them and having all that space. And, yeah, everything just progressed in this random way that, like a few Geelong people, like, oh, do you want to do this? And, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't really pinpoint where it all actually happened. It was definitely my my early 30s, I suppose, because where I was working in Melbourne, it ended up closing down. So I sort of like, oh, look, I'll do these few cars, and then once I've got those out of the way, I'll go and find an, another job to do, like a proper job. Well, that proper job never happened because people just sending me cars and, Obviously, they're pretty time-consuming. Like, while I was doing a few cars from from uh, the shop, I was still contracting up to, like, Farfane, and I was just doing, you know, a bit of metal work and rough repair stuff or a bit of paint stuff or, or they'd just paint their car and they'll just get me to put the whole thing back to get together, like, full assembly. Yep. And it and everything just sort of happened to me. I just had this, this thing of, like, oh, once this job's finished, I'll go and find find a real job and then next thing you know there's another car there to do and it um, just kind of went on and on from there and then I just taught myself a lot like um, well, it's sort of funny how it actually happened in the last few years but I, I've taught myself to weld and you know I'm not the best welder but I can get by pretty well um, but then I, I was like I was talking to this guy and, and he's like why don't you try and get into more welding fabrication side. So I went up going back to school and done a lot of night school and then got qualified as a, a welder fabricator. So I guess now that welder fabricator side of things is more my, what I, I'd like to do. Like I don't do too much paint stuff anymore because I think there's a lot of guys who should be doing, if they're good at something, you know, a painter should be painting. I, I've always classed myself as a welder fabricator, I guess, because that's what I was doing more of or enjoyed. So now more, more my business, I'd rather be doing the metal side of things and, you know, it's pretty cool. Like a lot of my, how I want to design, I just do it how I want, not something. It's just a, you know, not getting a generic chassis notch off off a customer and, you know, off, off some company and putting it into the car. Like everything I do, I try and be pretty individual to the car, you know, where it's given to do, you know. So, yeah, everything, honestly, in the last four or five years, like, I reckon I still have my moments where I wish, you know, I, I should be doing something else. I'm like, God, this is a draining job to do because you do finish one car and then it just, you know, the next one's there ready to go. But it, it's pretty cool knowing that I've just come from not having a trade and then doing this, this car stuff and fabrication stuff and then I've ended up going back to school. I was driving up to to uh, Melbourne every Tuesday night for shit, two years or something like that to get qualified. And I was actually going to go back now and, and get a few other qualifications on top 
Um, but since all the COVID crap's come out, I can't go back to school until all that's finished. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Long story of, of nothing. <laughs> no, it's good. It's it's you know it's good that you know you got a passion and and you work hard at it and then you help some mates out. And it's it's such a common story. I I reckon half the people I talk to, you know, like you don't wake up in one day in year twelve and go, oh, I'm going to be a car builder when I get older, and and you go and study all that stuff. You kind of it's a bit of a passion uh, trade that you end up in. Like some guys might come out of a a panel apprenticeship or a mechanics apprenticeship and do it. But a lot of guys seem to follow the same sort of road as what you're describing. Yeah, look, I've never, um, I suppose I'm lucky when I first got into this sort of stuff, there wasn't a hell of a lot of guys doing doing this sort of customy airbags and body modification stuff. And and I, I do have that whole, like I, I will admit I'm not the best at, at certain things, but I will do my best or have a crack at everything. Like, I've got that mentality that that nothing's, you know, too hard if you do put your mind to it. And I always try and... I do try and improve myself. Like, if I've done something pretty average, you know, at one stage, then I'll, I'll fucking... I'll either cut that out or, you know, I'm pretty self-conscious on, on what I do. But it is funny how it's, it has progressed from as a hobby to a business. And, you know, I have built up a... A sort of name, you know, like I, I can't, I work by myself, you know, and I've got multiple jobs on the go, but you know, I, don't, I can't punch out a lot of cars or get a lot of cars in and out the door. Um, but you know, like what I do, I try and make as best as I can, and and um, you know, hopefully everyone's got a good car at the end of it. So, and an individual car, like a lot of guys now, they kind of they they'll send me the car and they'll just like they don't have. They want a car, and they want it to be a certain way, but they've got no idea on the styling or what they think would look good. So, you know, now a lot of a few guys just like, yep, you do what you think is going to be right for that car and make it how you would want it to be, which is kind of cool because they're kind of just putting that... And not only are they paying me to do the job, but they're asking me to try and style it, which is kind of cool, whether or not they think I've got that right right look on cars on how they should be yeah i mean that's the ultimate that's the ultimate compliment for you as a builder really isn't it yeah yeah look and i still class myself as a backyard hack you know like fuck man like i i have fell into this you know but it is it is a bit of a compliment when guys just like yeah look you know what you do you make things look how they should be you know and it's easy to miss like i can't control everyone's builds like on what they want but you know, it's cool to try and say, yeah, let's do it this way and, you know, not go overboard here, you know, make it just sort of cool and try and stand out that little mm. bit. But, um, yeah. No, that's cool, yeah. So it's pretty cool. Like, you know, honestly, I, I did, I just fell into it by accident and never intended to keep going, but people keep sending me cars. So, yeah, what do you yeah, do? Yeah. <laughs> so um, the... The build that came out of your shop fairly fairly recently was uh, Rob Veach's Apache, and you know yep. that. I, I honestly would say to you that that's one of the nicest trucks that I've seen built in Australia, no question about it. And and I think, you know, you you took the, you took that truck, and I mean, what was the vision from the start of that? I mean, we, I'm hoping to get Rob on board and and do a full interview with him because it's. I think there's a family tie with that truck. Was it his dad's or something? 
Yeah, it was, it was his dad. So um, it was sort of funny. I can't remember how it came about, actually. But Rob, Rob was um, it, it, that car was quite local, like Ocean Grove. So it was five, ten minutes down the road, and then he just dropped in one day and had a chat, you know. And um, I said, "Look, I'll come around and have a look at it." And it was it was his father's car that he bought out. So. Um, his father had since passed away, but yeah, he ended up with a couple of cars and he sort of said to me, look, I wouldn't mind doing something. So, you know, um, yeah, he ended up with these cars and we, we just come out there. And the vision from the start was, uh, I guess like Rob's, like I've got to know Rob really well and he's a bloody awesome dude and his skill set and what he actually does for a living is amazing. But he didn't have a real good vision on what he wanted. So it was going to be one of those standard, you know, flat black trucks with red wheels, mm. white walls and red wheels. That was the, the get-go, you know. And then I, I was, you know, I was still doing a lot of stuff here, there and everywhere. So, you know, doing bits and pieces. And then, like, it's same. It was like, oh, look, if we're going to... We, we just put a Jag front in it because it wasn't going to be what it is now, it, everything just progressed, you know, and a couple of things on that truck I, I ended up doing a couple of times or we done a few times because as time went on, it was like, oh, I think we might do a really nice paint job on this thing now. <laughs> so then next thing you know, you're going over door gaps and, and chopping up door frames to make the gaps nicer on it and then cutting this out and doing a lot of little things. So, yeah, it's... Um, it, it progressed. It's still, to me, it's just it, it's just a driver. Like, it was no, you know, we didn't have a big budget at the start. Like, it was just a build a cool truck. And then a lot changed along the way, you know, and we're, we're doing nice paint, putting on new chrome and new glass and changing this and, and nice trimming it, you know. It's just a well-finished truck, but it is just a driver. It's not a show pony or anything like that, you know. It's just um, a genuine car that's, that looks cool, you know. And even now, like, the wheels is one of those things. Like, we, we couldn't agree on a set of wheels, and, and we're still not sold on the set of wheels because up until it was painted and, and nearly finished, we still had the red rims and the white walls that he originally bought for on the original style that he wanted. So then at the time, the Steely's wheel guys, I spoke to them and I bought a few sets of wheels off them, and they're like, oh, look, what do you think on this? And I'm like, yeah, let's run with these. So we, we got a set of 20-inch uh, smoothies for it. And they and they look good, but I still think it needs something else. And even now, like me and Rob look at the wheels and go, shit, you know, we could probably be cool to put something else on that truck. But the colour, I don't know if you've seen that truck in person, the colour on that thing is beautiful. So Troy Palmer, who painted that, done an amazing job on the paint. And the colours, like, it's so... Changes in every... Part, you know, every every bit of light that hits it during the day it seems to have a different flip to it, and it's dark in 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 one point, but then in the sun, it's like you get in the right angle. That thing just like like it's glowing. So the wheels, you know, I, I think um, it'd be cool to put even some billets. Like I actually I put some Supremes on it and some white walls. I thought, oh shit, that'll look pretty killer. But it just to me, it didn't look right either. So we still haven't found that set of wheels, and, and we're still you know, talk about maybe swapping in the wheels over now. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a cool truck. Yeah, it's a nice truck. But it's still, honestly, just a driver to me. You know, it's just a nice painted car. And, yeah, 
detailed. Rob just sort of, it was one of those cars that as it progressed, I kind of like, without going back over every little thing that we'd done, it was sort of like, Rob just sort of gave me a bit of a free run on like certain things on how we should do it and, you know, just do this or shave this, set this up like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a cool car. I, I don't know if you have seen it in person or not. Like, no, I haven't had a chance yet. I, um, Keep chatting to John Flanders and saying I've got to come down there and catch up with you guys and, and have a bit of a... Because you guys you guys have a bit of a get-together quite often down there, don't you? Oh, once a year. So I sort of... Um, I lost my, my dad to cancer. She was going back a few years now, sort of 80 years ago. Um, and it sort of just... When, when Queensland Fraud runs on, like, people were stopping in back then and, you know, might have had a beer and then they kept going down and then... So then maybe the following year I had a bit of a, a barbecue and then uh, a few people, you know, another 10 people turned up, so there's like 20 people. And then might have been a, a year or two after that, someone's like, oh, you know, why don't I donate something? And it's a good mate, Chris uh, Thorogood, the photographer. So he does a lot of work for Street Machine. He donated a couple of prints. And and then it really progressed. And now I've got this kind of big gathering. It's... Um, yeah, I try and keep it with a lot of people that have been there from the start and, and uh, you know, that that I know, like, but, you know, we have shit. This year was a bit of a horror because we had a horrible day weather-wise, but, but we have so many people donate stuff now and um, and we raffle everything off and we kind of have a big feed and, and, um, and donate everything to the cancer ward in Geelong Hospital. So it's pretty cool. John Flanders come down for that, and a lot of, I know a lot of dudes with trucks in, in Victoria, and obviously Aaron Gregory from New South, who was a local local dude anyway. But yeah, it's pretty cool when you see all these trucks and have a lot of trucks that have or cars I've worked on, and they're all in uh, my mum's front yard, you know, or in the paddock. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Definitely. No, mate. It's um. Yeah, yeah. No, you're doing a good job down there. So, so if I rock in there tomorrow with a with my 48 Ford and say, hey, I want the works. Like, how busy are you at the moment? Are you, are you taking builds on or are you, you a bit lined up? Yeah, I'm still taking in, taking in work. Like, I, um, like I said, it's, I probably went from, like, doing a lot of, like, little jobs that come in and, like, airbag a 50s car and then, you know, they're in and out reasonably quick, depends on how much work. But now I'm getting more into, like, bigger builds and, and people like, like I said before, they're just dropping a calf and they're, they're like, look, you do it how you think it should look. And so now I'm doing a lot, a lot more stuff, um, bigger builds. So I'm probably turning over less cars, but I'm doing a lot more involved in like a start to finish type, type build. But if someone comes in now, like it, it's like four months to get a car in. So I've got. I've got six customer cars on the go right now, and they're nearly all full builds. So it's, that's a lot of work. Like if, you know, you look at one car that build a build a car, one car. How much time goes in that one car? I'm doing that over six, and and then doing a few little jobs. So yeah, I've still got I've got these six cars on the go. I've got two other bag jobs coming, like another '63 Chevy pickup, uh, and then I think a '64 Chevy pickup with an LS in it, so, yeah. Yeah, about four months rolling, and it's been that way for years. Like, you know, some people call me up and, they, and they're all keen to get their car in. I'm like, man, it's it's like four months to get a car in. 
and and some dudes are really good. They're just like, now nah, look, I like what you do. You know, um, I like to think I've built a pretty good relationship with a lot of people that that come because over that four months, say that you they're booked in a car, you, you talk to them quite regularly, you know, and, and they're uh, you build a pretty good friendship with them. But then I have the other guys that call up and like, oh, can you? You know, can you can I bring it down in two weeks' time? Like, no, nah, man, sorry. You know, and and I kind of think anyone who's pretty good at what they do or reasonable at what they do, you're going to be waiting to get into them. So, and I think it's the same. Any, any, I know a lot of dudes with shops, and when you speak to them, it, it's the same. Like everywhere, you know, it's three, four, five months to get a car in. Yeah. So, I wish I could change that, but I'm a, uh, I'm a one man band. You know, tries to do a fair bit where I can, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty screwed for time. Yeah, and I mean, if I if I went to a custom shop and they were like, yeah, bring it straight in, we've got no work, you'd be a little bit worried, probably. Oh, exactly, yeah. It might be good for you, but unfortunately, like, we, there's a lot of horror stories in cars that get built around the traps, you know, and I, I would be worried, too, if I was building a car and putting a bit of money into it, and they say, yep, yeah, you can bring it in tomorrow, like fuck yeah right this isn't mm, right yeah for sure <laughs> but um my, mine is just I, i've always had too much work on from the get-go like I, I need to scale down a little bit and try and have maybe three cars on the go max and then keep that three cars on the loop but it, it, it gets hard to to knock people back and then a lot of cars i've got in and say they wanted me to do a four link and set up bags on the chassis and then that was the job finished then it's gone Wallace here, do you want to build the tub? Do you want to do the rust work? You know, modify this. So then next thing you know, I am got into the whole, doing the whole body side of it. And and then that's blown out. Probably the next person who wanted to come in as well. So then that car's blown out from adding another four, five, six months worth of work on top. Yeah, it's a a common story, that one. Yeah, yeah, it's a common story. I do, it is probably my biggest downfall is I just cannot get, I cannot physically get the cars in and out quick enough because I am just one person trying to share that that workload over things and uh, over multiple projects. And then, the, you know, I have a lot of issues sometimes waiting for parts, you know, like especially now if you buy a part from the States, like something that's pretty big, you could be waiting four months for it. To yeah, turn up. yep. So... So what about engineering? Do you have an engineer that you work with that, that signs stuff off or do your clients, they do they sort their own engineer out? How do you generally run that? Yeah, look, I've, I've, I've had a few engineers over the years, obviously because I've been doing it for a few years now. And, um, you know, my, my last one, using a dude from the other side of Melbourne, he was really good and he had a lot of experience with airbag cars. So he was... He was probably a bit of a pioneer with airbag cars and done all the like the DW customs cars. So he was really handy to use and he was awesome. But he's semi retired now. And then I've I've had a few local Geelong guys um, that I've been using as well now. And I, I nearly every job now I start, I get them in to inspect that car from the start. And I, I try and do like three of us there. I'll be there, the engineers there, and um, the owner of the car. And then we talk about it all together because it's like, you know, when, when someone's putting investing in a bit in money, like it's just mad not to get your car engineered now, yeah, especially if you're building it from from the start. Because what's, you know, you got to put nearly all the same components into the car to get it running, 
So why not spend that extra two grand to get your car engineered and know that it's going to be legal to use on the road when you're done? Yeah, absolutely. And that's all. That all seems to be getting harder and harder at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Look, I keep hearing a few fucking little random snippets that things are starting to get a bit tighter in Victoria, but I'm not actually sure what's happening. Um, don't know if it's just all rumours and myths or what's going on, but I heard there's a bit of an overhaul on the engineering side of things. It's quite funny because could, I could have three different engineers turn up and look at one job and they all want the job done in three different yeah. ways, but they all go by the same book. So they've all got the same book of engineer rules. It's just in their, their mind how they think it needs to be done. But... Um, but my engineer, I use, you know, he, he's a great dude. Like, he's a really good guy that, like, if you do have an issue or something needs to be changed or you're not right with, he's really good that you can work with. And and he's a guy, he's very well qualified, so he can sign off, you know, chassis modifications and roof chops and engine conversions and airbags and all that sort of stuff. Because not everyone, not every engineer either likes what you can and can't do, or they, or they, you know, a lot of do- guys don't like uh, airbag cars, full stop. So a lot of guys won't sign yeah. them off. But yeah, my guy that I got, he's a really good dude, so happy with him. No, that's awesome. Cool. All right, mate. Well, uh, I should yeah. probably let you go, but um, thanks for thanks for having a good chat to us. So it's sort of been meaning to catch back up with you for a few years when you know i think we recorded that first thing the podcast was still kind of an idea at that stage i was like this is what i really want to do and and uh that day was a case of of me just trying to get the balls to walk up to some guys and start chatting about their truck and uh and it's it's morphed into a proper podcast now which is cool but um yeah oh man i could probably i could talk for hours with this shit i've got that much stuff going on in my head and bits and pieces you know but um <laughs> yeah it's good like you know it, it's a good scene it's good that everyone gets along especially the truck scene's huge now like in victoria or in australia like there's so many trucks getting built and they're uh, to me they're like i'll just think uh what have i got one but out of the six cars i've got there uh three of them are pickups yeah. so it's cool like the pickup scene's massive yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, yeah. I mean, you just got to look at Jono's um, Instagram page, and just every every day, it's like there's a new truck popping up, and you're like, Jesus, where where the hell are these all coming from? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's incredible where they've all come from, and, and I love it. Like, I, I think pickups are the best fucking things in the world. Like, because you can just you can pull up, you sit in the back of them, you know, your eskies in the back, all your mates can jump in and and have a ball. Um, it's a it's a huge thing, like massive. Mm. No, it's perfect. So, cool. So if if guys want to check out your work, uh, you on Instagram at big underscore ls underscore chop underscore shop. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. It's, it's a bit of a mouthful, but yeah, that's yeah, right. And um, and you have a Facebook page which uh, which you'll be updating soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I, I said to you before, I stopped posting a lot of stuff uh, just because I. What would you say? What was the algorithm of Facebook? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously you post something up on Facebook, and they're a bit funny on 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 uh, how many people actually see it. So, but yeah, a lot of my stuff I've been putting on Instagram, but I still don't put enough up either. I'm just sort of, I, I don't know, I keep to myself a fair bit and just do what I do, and uh, yeah, keep on plugging away. In the yeah. Shed. 
But if someone's in the area and they're legit and they want you to have a, have a chat to you about a, a vehicle, they can just shoot you a message on Facebook or give you a call? Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. I still always reply to everyone if I see it, you know. Um, but, yeah, like I think I had a few calls today and a few of the guys, they just wanted random bits and pieces and, you know, one wanted paint stuff, which I just guided him off somewhere. So, but, yeah, it's always easy to contact me there and a lot of people just either send me a text message or something. Obviously, they've got my number off my Instagram page or Facebook. Yeah, perfect. Cool, mate. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for having a chat. Uh I do love your truck, and and you know it's it's been on the road for a long time, and it's a it's a credit to your work, I suppose that it's it's still a good daily driver, and uh, look forward to seeing what else comes out of Big L's Chop Shop. Too easy, man. Thank you. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day Even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.